He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their world. We're not going to start this time with Rigby because he's late again. But we will start with James. So I uh, want to give you guys an update on how Angelina Jolie Jr. is doing. So we had a doctor's appointment this last week, and I learned that there are only three colors of baby poop that warrant you going to a doctor's office immediately. They're black, white, and purple, and that's it. I uh, I looked it up, and there are 10 million other colors. But the do- hot pink, don't sweat it. Hunter green, cardinal red, no worries. You're good to go. But purple, no bueno. Call the doctor immediately. I was I was shocked that that's the only one we could be concerned of. <laughs> that's quite the color palette. It's like the uh, Sherman <laughs> Williams yeah. paint swatches. Black, white, or purple. Those are big issues. I asked them why, and they explained those three colors. And I was like, oh, yeah, those all that makes sense. But then with the other ones, I guess they were just like, yeah, don't just stop asking. Don't worry about it. Like, we already told you the ones you should worry about. It's easier to work backwards with the three than to go over the other 10 million. In as many weeks, I'm recording from a new location. Uh, well, I almost recorded from my bedroom tonight because my entire house is getting my floors redone. Other than that, I'm just, I've been watching Susan Sarandon movies covered in sawdust and with stain all over my clothes. And I smell like a construction worker and... I could have been an extra on Thelma and Louise with how I prepared for this episode. How the floor is looking, though. It looked great. Unfortunately, they're still tacky, so I had to, uh, not, I'm not able to record from home tonight. That is the long game. I bet they're going to look beautiful. I hope so. Mort? Uh, just hanging out, enjoying summer, trip, trip back down south, preparing to melt. That's, that's basically it. It was like 75 degrees here for Father's Day, and it was an absolute delight. Got to spend like all weekend outside. So, yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, Sunday was absolutely beautiful. 75 degrees down here at 3 in the morning, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got Laura Adams back with us as a guest on the podcast. Um, she's joining us from Wisconsin, New York where she is a film and television production manager. Currently, Laura is working on a documentary called By Design, Depression on Long Island. She was previously here for the Chloe Grace Moretz episode, and she is also James's sister, or the better half, as we like to call her. Welcome back, Laura. How's life? And uh, any interesting updates since the last time we had you? Hey, guys. It's good to be back. I'm glad to be here again. I'm really looking forward to discussing Susan Sarandon and all her wonderful work. Some updates about me. I recently graduated college in May. Congrats. Thank you. And I was offered a position at Gersh Production Agency in Manhattan. So I will be taking, which is... Hell yeah. Yeah. Which is Congratulations. Breaking news. Thank you. You know, my husband and I have spoken about it and really you know, had to ponder over everything and it's finally definitely going to get out there. So this is like the official announcement for sure. Very cool. Can I have Very some cool. money? 
<laughs> Just don't forget about me. James, it's time for you to finish college. Yeah, we'll see, we'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> A lot of people go to college for seven years, Warren. Right? <laughs> I'm excited because I think this might be the first step in us getting the uh, Charlize Theron documentary set up i think you're the missing piece james <laughs> yeah. has all the research that's right you're the one now that can make this happen and i'm so excited for you and james and the world i'll i'll, I'll make that happen birthdays so i'm gonna start with uh, famous actor mike tyson uh in the hangovers crocodile dundee in los angeles and scary movies four and five iron mike the dynamite kid 54 i'll go a little bit lower i'll go 51 Give me 58. You just pick a number. <laughs> <laughs> just take one more than James. 54. Fuck up his day. Okay, right, perfect. Laura wins. He's 56. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Touche. <laughs> great guess. Great guess. Next up, we have Lizzie Catlin from Down Fame, Mean Girls, Hot Tub, Time Machine, The Night Before, and Now You See Me Too, and those other TV shows she's in. Case is a super fan, so I'm just going to wait for his guess, and then I'm probably just going to say the same number. So I've got no idea. I just know I'd, I'd date her if I had to. <laughs> well, if I had, had to. to. Well, then you better hope she's 18 there, Craig. Jeez. <laughs> uh, let's go um, 38. Yeah, 38. Sounds good. Was that a flattering guess, Laura? I would assume so. I'm, I'm not very good at these guesses. In case she hears it, I just want to make sure it's it's a good it's a flattering guess. <laughs> In case she hears it. In case she, I think that's a a, a solid guess. Oh, forty one. Craig and Kyle, uh, y'all win uh, forty. All right, because <laughs> pri- Price is Right rules. I'm just peppering the strike zone over here. Finally, we have Vincent D'Onofrio, Full Metal Jacket, Men in Black, The Daredevil series, and Chips, the remake movie. <laughs> A 68. Oh, that seems high. Give me 59. 58. Uh, 57. <sighs> 63. <laughs> they, got, they got sandwiched. 63. You guys gave yourself such tight windows by going with 58 and 59. So who won that? Yeah, there, it, was, it, was hard, it was hard to find that, uh, you know, Tyson was the third one I went with, but... Really hard to find like some big name people for birthdays, and I got nobody else had birthdays that day. That's it. Episode sixty-five. So we had five actors. The old wheel. We go to it all the time. We had David Oyelowo, Sid Haig, Russell Crowe, and Margot Robbie. But none of those were at least the darling of the wheel this time. It shows Susan Sarandon, and that's who Laura is here to talk about. Susan has quite a quite a few credits on her resume she's looking at over 160 total acting credits throughout her career since the early 1970s so this woman has done quite a bit in the industry and we're going to talk about as much as we can but we're not going to hit everything as we normally do we'll start with james and to see if you can stump us fast and furious style yeah so i'm going to read off three facts here two of them are going to be true about susan sarandon One of them is not going to be about Susan Sarandon, but will in fact be about one of the many cast members of the illustrious and now up to 10 movies in the franchise of Fast and Furious. Everyone's going to have to guess which one is not about Susan Sarandon. You don't have to guess which actor it is about, but you can take a shot if you'd like. Fact number one, 
She lied about being a successful model who had previously worked with the likes of Gucci, Prada, and Louis Vuitton in order to land an audition when she first started out. Fact number two. She went on an audition with her spouse to help him be comfortable while reading for a role and actually landed her first major role while her spouse went uncasted. (laughs) Fact number three. Has been arrested three times, all of which have been for protesting. Not everyone at once. You guys take your time. I think you're really trying to screw with us on this one. I think the one where they read with their partner and their partner got the job is actually about Vin Diesel, but it was Vin Diesel's twin brother who was reading for parts, and then Vin Diesel got him, and that's how he started his career. His brother, brother Ben. The accountant. Steve Diesel. Everyone knows. <laughs> I'm gonna say number I'm gonna say number one, and that was Tyrese Gibson. Good guess. He's a good looking dude. Yeah. I'm gonna say number three. I'm gonna go with three. Feel good about it. Fact number three has been arrested three times, all for protesting. Is true. Uh, she's very outspoken politically and has been from the start of her career. She'd actually been arrested in the eighties, the nineties, and as recently as twenty fifteen, all for protesting. First was for tearing down of the Moscow theater. Second was for the murder of Amadou Diallo, which I remember. Uh, he was killed by New York City police, de- uh, police department in his own home, completely un- unarmed. Remember that. And for protesting Donald Trump's immigration policies and ICE detention centers. So she says it with her chest. When she says something, she means it. I appreciate someone who fights for the cause they believe in. That actually somehow plays into fact number two. Went on an audition with her spouse to help him be comfortable while reading for a role and actually landed her first major role and her spouse went on casted. One, found out that her first husband was Prince Humperdinck. Had no idea. I think that's hilarious from uh, <laughs> Princess Bride. But it was after the 1968 Democratic Convention, there was a casting call for a film with several roles for the kind of young people who had disrupted that convention. She was one of those young people already causing a scene back in the day, a Hollywood role when her then husband, Chris Sarandon, took his name, went to and ended up getting the role, which I'm going to end up reviewing here, which is uh, her first feature film, which is in the movie Joe, which came out in 1970. And then uh, fact number one, good guess, Warren, uh, lied about being a successful model who'd worked with Gucci, Prada, and Louis Vuitton in order to land an audition. Uh, while Susan Sarandon did begin her career at working with the Ford Modeling Agency before getting into acting, it was actually current upcoming Fast X movie star Jason Momoa, who would begin his career as as a model and claimed he was crowned Hawaii's model of the year at the age of 20, uh, while about 20 years later acknowledging that he just made all that shit up and just wanted to get his first role on Baywatch Hawaii. It worked. He realized that other people at the cast and call had resumes, and when they asked him for his resume, he didn't have one, and so he just made one up on the fly. And because he's so good-looking, they bought it. Yeah, what are you going to say? Like, Google me. It's two, 2002. It's like, <laughs> yes. yeah, get out, your, get out your flip phone and, like, get, get internet. Oh, uh, you, you don't have the 50 states model of the year calendar? Uh, well, I'm on it. When you get one, you'll, you'll see it. I'm there. Trust me. Good one, James. Yeah, man. Hey, tell us a little bit about Snapshot Box Office History. Well, Susan Sarandon broke my spreadsheet. (laughs) And she did it in two different ways. First, she has two movies that I don't know if the budgets were misreported, but Joe 
is one of them, and it was budgeted for $106,000, and it world grossed $19 million, according to IMDb. I can confirm that fact. And then she had an, another really famous one, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That movie was budgeted for $1.2 million and has world grossed $114 million. So the two of them are right up there with Halloween. I had to add 18 lines of movies because she was in such a prominent role in such prominent movies. <laughs> I had to go in, I had to add them to my individual actor sheet, and then I had to go in and recode all of her formulas to make sure it averaged out all of her films. That's something that's really different because we've had a lot of other actors and actresses that I'll be punching in their numbers and I'm like, ah, they're not in that movie a ton or they're not driving the box office. But she is such a prominent role in so many different movies that I had to add so many of them. With that being said, she gets hammered on her star meter. Uh, you know, I don't think Susan Sarandon, although when you type Susan into Google, it recommended Sarandon to me every time. So she is still popular in Google, but her IMDb star meter is low. She ranks 40th in our comparisons. Her total box office is low primarily because a lot of the movies that she has done early on weren't the types of movies you know that they're doing now. Critic ranking was a little bit lower than I thought, but a lot of those low critic rankings were coming a little later in her career. And her fan ranking was a lot lower than I thought. Her fan ranking, she comes in 43rd out of our uh, 65, only a 58.3 fan. That's actually right at Angelina Jolie's level. So I, I would have thought that mm. her fan ranking would have been better. Then she goes one and two in, a, in two different box office metrics. So averaging out all of her scores, this is probably the most accurate box office portfolio we have because there's so much data. She comes in 20 seconds, which I thought was remarkably accurate. I'm not shocked by the star meter because I don't think she's been in a lot recently. But that name recognition is absolutely there. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. All right. Early days of Susan Sarandon. James said a lot of this, so I'm only going to fill in a couple gaps here. Number one, she's born in 46, the oldest of nine. Big family. Huge family. Lots of kids. Lots of younger siblings. Born in Queens was a high school drama kid in New Jersey, went to the Catholic University of America in the School of Drama there. That's where she got her acting start. And as James mentioned, by 67, she had married Chris Sarandon. So while she was st still at university, that marriage lasted 12 years. They got divorced in 79. But before that marriage came to an end, she was in her first major role, which is a movie called Joe that James had talked about in 1970. And it's his review. So yeah, the way, the way she got that role is hysterical she was going to help prince humperdinck the druggy boyfriend uh that her character has and she ended up getting the more prominent role which is the uh, druggy girlfriend so craig had mentioned produced on a tight budget and it kind of it shows it is filmed for one hundred and six thousand dollars, and it kind of comes across like uh like it was filmed like a soap opera is what it looks like um however it was wildly successful and Norman Wexler's screenplay actually received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay, which I think holds up because it is a unique way to tell the story. And the story is fairly fascinating, and I think it was pretty poignant for, the, for that time. So to get into the plot, a wealthy businessman confronts his junkie daughter's uh, drug-dealing boyfriend. The junkie daughter is uh, the woman of the hour, Susan Sarandon. 
when he confronts the drug dealing boyfriend, it's after his daughter had just OD'd but lived. And they get in an argument and it escalates and he ends up killing the junkie boyfriend. This is all in like the first 10 minutes. And so he's super panic stricken. You know, he's, he's not this type of person and he's kind of got like that thousand yard stare going where like he's not fully there and he, he just wanders into a bar in New York City. And when he gets to the bar, he runs into this like wasted blue collar factory worker named Joe, who's played by uh, Peter Boyle. That is the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. And Joe hates hippies, hates black people, anyone who's different. He is throwing every slur around. He's clearly a bigot. And then how he mentions just out loud how he would love to kill one, you know, just make the world a better place by getting rid of some of these tree huggers. Her dad is kind of just sitting there and like says like, I, I did that. And he's like, what was that? And he's like, uh, nothing, nothing. And they, they start talking and he eventually reveals to the stranger. He's like, yeah, I, I killed a hippie once and doesn't realize it doesn't mention it was like 10 minutes ago. And that is where the movie takes a turn because the rich father is no longer the main character and Joe becomes the main character, which is cool to see a kind of change. And you see it from Joe's point of view and you see him kind of slowly losing his mind while convincing this dad, like I'm a normal guy, salt of the earth guy. Like we should totally be friends and hang out. And the dad's buying it, but he's also like, oh, this guy kind of knows I killed someone, so I'm just trying to maintain a relationship. But when they show you what Joe's doing while he's doing this, it's like he's buying ammunition and polishing guns and like, you know, like putting like anti-America propaganda up in his basement and like slowly fucking losing it. And you can see where the movie's going. Susan Sarandon isn't asked to do a lot. And I think it's because of what I mentioned before. You know, she was casted after disrupting a... Uh, Democratic convention. She's asked to play a hippie. She is a hippie. Uh, back then, when this movie came out, that's when people thought weed was like heroin. And so, you know, there's a lot of like reference to grass and how it makes you just want to have orgies and shit. I'm like, all right, well, this is clearly the 70s when the people writing this movie were clearly trying to make fun of the people who weren't smoking weed at the time. So I think she's okay in the role. Again, not asked to do a lot. I think the star of this is Peter Boyle playing the psychopath. About 10 weeks before the movie was released, a real-life mass murder happened, which is very similar to the movie's climactic scenes, because that's where the movie ends up going, uh, which took place in Detroit. And the judge actually ordered that the defendant's lawyers and the plaintiff's lawyers watch the movie first, and then made sure that none of the jurors on trial had seen it before the movie happened, because you don't want anyone to be swayed by the movie and that couldn't have backfired harder. It was like the most like couldn't give this movie any more press than that exact thing. And so afterwards, Peter Boyle was like, I'll never play a violent role again because you guys are celebrating my character and he's supposed to be the bad guy. The movie itself is shot. Like it didn't age well, but the story is really fascinating. This was her first role ever, which is wild. Correct. And it got right. An Oscar nominee and, uh, she was an Oscar nominee, but the screenplay got an Oscar nom, and it was a huge success at the box office. As you're watching her perform in this role, what were your thoughts knowing the arc of her career that would come? What I perceived her to be from what I knew from her more famous roles is not who she is. This is more her sweet spot where she's like a East Village, New York hippie, and I'm used to her playing like 
the aggressive Southern, I don't take no bullshit woman. And she's not from the South at all. Like she's <laughs> as New Yorker as New Yorker could be. And so this was probably more close to how she really is than the roles I know her most famously for. It's weird that she hit it on her first one and then doesn't go back to it. Yeah, I don't called acting you can see it in her later roles they leaned more into like uh you know the, the the free spirit that she has and how she's sensual but outspoken and it's less about like i'm an aggressive new yorker i'm so aggressive that i will get arrested just for yelling like i don't give a shit and that is just not the role she plays important to note for you case i saw a video that she talked about she doesn't have a publicist she's never had a publicist so she just makes her own movie choices. Oh, that's badass. And against what other people tell her that she shouldn't do a lot of times. She needs to hang out with the Roberts family. Let Eric Roberts' kids pick up movies for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, kind of kind of like what you mentioned earlier, she hasn't been in anything really of note in quite a while. So maybe she should get a team. <laughs> <laughs> She probably doesn't have to be in anything right now. She's probably just enjoying her time, doing what she wants to do. She's probably just protesting everything. You, exactly. And that was Kim Basinger. We make jokes, but do you know how quickly I would retire on any of the salaries these people get paid for the movies they're in? <laughs> be like, whatever happened to that guy? I really liked him in that one movie. It's like, yeah, he cashed his first check and never left his house ever again. Oh, that's James <laughs> D'Imperio. James, your role on this podcast is to constantly remind us of every time we question someone's role decision, you're like, oh, they're making money, so they're fine. Yeah, she's doing great. I wouldn't worry about it. (laughs) You're like, oh, they got a huge paycheck from that. She doesn't care. Yeah. Got it. Understood. Okay. Um, All right. Well, we got 10 years until the next review. So the early, so after Joe, that first first role ever, starts to get some other work, right? Good notice. Um, So she does an episode of Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law in 71, her first TV episode alongside William Shatner. The biggie in the early 70s there, she did 325-episode run on the soap opera World Apart. She played Patrice. And that's a lot of TV work over a two-year period. Her confrontational style in movies feels kind of soap opera-ish. That makes a lot of sense that she kind of honed her acting in that realm between 71 and 74 she did five other tv shows you know a few episodes here and there so doing doing the tv circuit made her broadway debut in gore vidal's an evening with richard nixon 1972 so stepping onto the stage a couple years into her career at this point and then she did i guess her next film the front page played peggy Um, but the big one and another one that people told her you shouldn't do was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. She played Janet, a movie that has continued to live on in midnight showings infamy since the mid-70s. Yeah, boy, were they wrong. <laughs> why, why do you think that was the case? It was just super campy then, right? And they, they just didn't... The culture that it's portraying wasn't socially acceptable in 1975. Yeah. And so it was like, people were probably like, I'm not going to see that before the movie even came out based on what they thought it was going to be. My guess, I don't know how it did at the box office case, you might know, but my guess is it was uh, slowly successful as word of mouth started to travel. I agree, James. I think there was like, you know, zero representation then. And this just grew into such a cult favorite afterwards. And it was a slow grow. And exactly, I think through word of mouth in school, 
Um, granted, I was in class with a lot of people who are a lot younger than I was, and <laughs> it was around Halloween. And uh, one of the uh, one of the the kids and the guys in class was saying that he's getting together with one of his friends, and he goes, "Yeah, we're going to watch this movie called Rocky Horror Picture Show. Have you ever seen it?" I'm like, "Excuse me." <laughs> I'm like. How come you have never seen it before? <laughs> like, I just found that crazy to me that there are people out there who have never seen it or like had never heard of it even. <laughs> you go down that path and it's going to make you feel worse every time. You're like, you've never seen this movie? And that person responds like, that movie came out 25 years before I was born. And you're like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. Laura, I hate admitting this, but I've never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, my. But you know I, of it. You know it exists. I, I'm well aware of its impact. Was it streaming anywhere? No. Uh, I feel like it's never, ever, ever streaming anywhere. Oh, the, probably because they want it to be the midnight showings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah and anyway. not only that, but like, I imagine that no matter when it was released, it, it could have been released. 80 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. It could be released this year. It's going to have a terrible opening regardless. It's it's always going to be a it's always going to be a cult following, but the thing is, yeah, you're probably right. If it was released in the past 5 years, that growth to cult status would have happened a lot faster. And that's 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 just about yeah. it. But it would have had yeah. a terrible opening anytime. <laughs> does she sing in this movie? Like does she have any singing parts? There's so many singing. The the it's yeah. a it, it's a musical. The one scene I did see on YouTube, she wasn't singing. She was just acting along while somebody else. Sang. Most of her singing is like choral. You know, it's just a part yeah, of it where like she may have like about. she'll have like a line here or there in a like as conversation, but it's not like a huge solo song. This movie has the distinction of helping me get over my recurring nightmare of uh, Pennywise the clown. In that I finally watched this movie when I was like 14 or 15. And Tim Curry plays Dr. Frankenfurter. And he's the star of the movie. And that's when I was like, oh, that's, that's the guy who played Pennywise. And I'm like, that's the dude from Home Alone 2. And my brain just clicked off. And it's like, you're never going to be scared ever again of that man. I was like, all right, cool. I think this movie, whether by luck or by skill, stumbled onto a formula of fan-engage movies, mm-hmm. the sing-alongs and the dancing that allowed, and like James said earlier, it, it really promoted a counterculture that was very well-defined in this movie. And I think all those things put together is what has kept this thing going as long as it has. And I think a lot of movies, if we broke down, they would follow the formula of this movie. So 1977, she's in a movie called The Other Side of Midnight, and it seemed like a pretty major role what i thought was fascinating about it it has it only has six reviews from critics on rotten tomatoes but it is a zero percent so i'm sure that killed like straight up zero on the critic side so i thought that was fascinating 74 percent from the fans though i know huge huge gap i know it wasn't streaming anywhere and so it did really didn't fit as an like an audience gap movie but mm-hmm pretty baby 1978 played hattie and this was the role you talked about james where she played a mom this one also has the famous uh, topless scene early in her career, too. Actually, she's topless before she speaks in Joe. In Joe, yeah. It's early on. Yeah, she's very comfortable in the nude. It's going to take us to highest critic score, which is 1980s Atlantic City, which has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So 
and a movie that also got her an Oscar now. So Laura is our guest month and is going to talk a little bit about it. I had never seen this movie before. Interesting going into it, knowing that it got 100% on the tomato meter and it was nominated for so many Academy Awards. I mean, Burt Lancaster is also like, you know, stars alongside Susan Sarandon, uh, Susan Sarandon. He was nominated for Best Actor and she uh, Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Also, like a whole bunch of like Best Directing, Louis Mal. Louis Malley. And interestingly enough, um, so the movie, obviously, it takes place in Atlantic City. And it's all about how Atlantic City is deconstructing in the 80s. It's like crime ridden. It's past its prime during the, you know, during its heyday in the the 50s and the 60s and when everything was was going well you know there's like a lot of like crime and and it's like an in-depth study about the consequences of getting older so susan sarandon is escaped has escaped to atlantic city to get rid of like leave her old life behind and try and find a new life in in jersey and she is in the casino she's working the tables and she meets like this old older man there who they happen to be in the same they live in the same building together and he is like a kind of like a washed up subpar mobster who is also trying to make money again and it's very interesting like the juxtapositions between this crumbling city that is trying to re-emerge and come back to life and here you have these two characters who are also doing the same they're also like their lives are crumbling and they're just trying to like almost rise from the ashes and come back to life and they form this kind of like this odd connection with each other and they get into some seedy business with drug dealers and it turns out where her actual boyfriend in the movie is the actual director of the film and he gets murdered by drug dealers and this whole movie takes place over the span of two days and it was it was really interesting to see how it panned out. She's not like the focal point where Burt Lancaster is more like he's the star of the movie. Um, but she is kind of like, you know, supporting him through all of this. And I felt like it was a really interesting watch. But also I was kind of like, I was more interested in the script. I think it was well written. I think, you know what the interesting facts that I did learn about it was that it actually is a film that was, um, so she plays like Sally Matthews, who's a young waitress that I, you know, I, I explained before, but the movie itself has like some really like redeeming qualities through Atlantic city. Um, in 2003, the movie was among 25 motion pictures that were added to the United States national film registry, which I thought was so interesting, um, in the library of Congress being deemed culturally, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant where they need this film preserved in terms of its historical purposes and how it was with 
and how it was portrayed through um, Atlantic City. It was such a huge, you know, like the Gold Coast and, you know, the, the um, you know, the urbanization of Long Island even and all of that. So it was, it was really interesting to learn that. How you mentioned, it was hard for me to kind of define what this, like what type of movie this was, where it's like, it is kind of a crime thriller, but there's also like a romantic side to it. But the romance isn't like a full-on romance. It's like there are love scenes, but it's also an older man and a younger woman. And I don't know, it's, I, I, I still struggle to define it, but I did find it fascinating that it was like this old man is super proud of what he was able to do like one last time as a mobster. You know, he was able to, you know, do something good for somebody. And even though she might be taking advantage of him, he's like cool with it because he's going out on top. And yet Atlantic City is like not what it used to be. Like there's no mob there anymore. It's just like a couple guys being drug dealers. It was hard for me to define it. I don't know if I'd say it was a hundred like percent. And I also don't know if I'd say like I loved it, but like I don't know. It, it is it's fascinating. It's intriguing. It it made me think, but I, I still struggle to like truly define the type of movie that it is definitely a hard to define movie i don't know exactly where i would place this movie in terms of genre so i have not seen this and i'm disappointed for two reasons one is because i love burt lancaster and i've i've heard a lot about this movie and i knew it was part of the national film registry uh the other reason is roger ebert loves this movie this is part of his great movies list and yeah i know it i knew it had a really high score of a on rotten tomatoes i didn't know it was 100 which is crazy Quick blurb, Roger Ebert says, what makes Atlantic City sweet, and that's the word for it, is the gentleness in which Lou, who's Burt Lancaster, handles his last chance at amounting to something, and the wisdom in which Sally, which is Susan Sarandon, uh, handles him. So it's like a, it's a young woman who realizes, like, this old man's trying his hardest, and, you know, if he was younger, we'd probably be a thing, but we're just not going to be a thing. And so, like, instead of hurting him, she's like... I could kind of just like slowly get out of this situation. I, I'm just blown. I didn't realize this movie had, had such cultural significance. So I think cool. yeah, Ebert can like that movie all he wants. He gave my movie three out of four stars so he can eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you hated James and the Giant Peach? Damn. <laughs> I didn't watch that one. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, we got 18 years until the next review. So her, her career after the Oscar nomination in Atlantic City keeps up. Hardcore here. So um, she's in Tempest, plays a character named Aretha. And I mentioned this one from 82 because that was Molly Ringwald's first film and also had John Cassavetes and Raul Jubilee. I thought that was an inter- interesting collaboration in the early 80s there. Thoughts on that? That's just a murder's row of talent right there that you just listed. Right? Mm-hmm. The Hunger, if you guys remember that, we talked about it in the Dan Hedaya episode. Jay did a full review on it and he talked about it being vibes, like just major vibes. <laughs> Uh, a lot of nudity from Susan in this one. Yes. She has a steamy, steamy lesbian sex scene with Catherine Deneuve in this movie. And quite exceptional if you're into those types of scenes. So uh, Jay, Jay did allude to that in the Hedaya episode as well. Oh, the, quite the scene in this movie. Yeah, and remember, this was directed by Tony Scott. But her first, uh, I guess, foray into the activism side, at least real big public one, was in 83. She joined a delegation in Nicaragua, sponsored by Madre. First of many, just like Jolie, the last episode led to a lot of activism. 
Yeah, she told Ronald Reagan to suck it. And he's like, no one go to Nicaragua. We are not. And she was like on the next flight. She's like, I'm on my way. Don't you worry, Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Her daughter, Ava, was born in 85. And her daughter has followed in her footsteps as an actress. And in fact, has joined her in some films. Mm -hmm. And later in her career, which we'll talk about a couple of those. Something that I love about the mid 80s, she was the host and she's narrated a bunch of stuff over her career, including um, a miniseries called Mythos in the mid 80s from 85 to 87, which was basically a miniseries about Joseph Campbell, who is like the foremost guy on myth. And I wrote my entire senior thesis in my undergrad on Joseph Campbell. Oh, nice. And so I've always I've always loved Joseph Campbell. I love his work on mythology and the fact that she narrated all of those episodes. She gains extra points from me on that one. I love that. She's she has a really good uh, really good voice. I never thought of her as a narrator. I don't think I ever recognize her narrating because I'm expecting a west like a southern voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Very fair. The Witches of Eastwick played Jane, 1987. I didn't get a chance to watch this one. They took it off streaming between me finding things and then us starting to prep. Love them. But I've I've, yeah, I've, I've a, heard great things. Movie yeah. and it's a it's a good book too by John Updike. Yeah. Jack Nicholson's in this and share. Yeah. Share. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, they're witches and they don't, but they don't know that they're witches. Is that right? Right. Jack Nicholson kind of plays the devil and he kind of forms like this love triangle with these three women and he make, he gives them all powers and they all turn into like witches Mm -hmm. and it ends up, it's so crazy and out there and outlandish. It's just, uh, it's amazing. Bull Durham. One of my favorite performances by her in 88, her career exploded, started dating Tim Robbins up through 2009, had two sons with him. So for baseball players, right, like Bull Durham is is like almost like the Bible for understanding like the traditions of baseball. Like I have two buddies at home. Every time I hang out with them at home, we're likely to get drunk and watch Bull Durham. Like that's probably going to happen. This movie's not as funny as Major League to me, but it's a better movie and it's more quotable. And Susan Sarandon is, she checks every box in this movie. She's funny. She's sexy as hell. She's got great chemistry with both Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner. Costner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they they nailed the the casting on her. Warren, is this where the Southern accent comes from? Yeah, because she does the narration, you know, kind of as as it goes along. And so, yeah, she's the first voice that you hear. And it's like the lasting voice from the movie. My favorite line of this movie is when her and Tim Robbins are about to have sex and she's like, take your socks off, honey. And he goes, take my socks off. It's cold in here. <laughs> <laughs> she owns this role. And this this character is a tough one to play because it is. It, mm-hmm. in a lot of movies, the promiscuous female who basically sleeps with everybody in the team should not be the coolest person in the movie. Yeah, it's usually the guy on the baseball team who's the man whore. You don't really think much about it with with her because she plays it so powerfully, and or she you know, she does command a lot of respect, and she's not just some floozy. Right, she's a strong female lead in this movie. And yeah, James. When I was telling mom about coming on here, and we were doing um, Susan Sarandon, she told me that this was that was her favorite movie. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And she didn't say that's my boy. That's shocking. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Same year. uh, She's in White Palace, plays Nora, got a Golden Globe nom for that role. 
And then, you know, Bull Durham took her to a new level, but Thelma and Louise, I think, went to another level um, in 91. She got another Oscar nom, uh, a movie that I totally forgot, Shooter McGavin slash Chris, whatever his last name. Chris McDonald, he's fantastic in that movie. I always forget he's in that. I, I, everybody knows Brad Pitt's in it, but I, I forget that Shooter's in it, too. Oh, he plays a grade-A asshole. He's just always a good asshole, that guy. He is. Yes, he is. He's excellent. I think if you had to take a poll of random people that said, what's her most famous role, I would say this is probably number one on a lot of people's lists. He's such a badass in this movie. Yeah, like the cultural impact this movie has. Like I had never seen it until watching it for this podcast, and it was referenced in pop culture so many different times in my life that I thought it was like based on a true story. I was like, Oh, what are these like burglars (laughs) that I've never heard of, you know? And, uh, and I realized it's just this movie and it's kind of like a buddy, uh, what's it, what do they call like a buddy comedy for women? Like, and it had to be like one of the first ones and it's like random crime started happening and you're like, damn, Gina Davis, you're so dumb, but it's driving the plot. So like, I totally get it. The thing I like about Sir Mandon's character in this movie is a lot of times and female characters are pushed to the the brink, become self-destructive. In this movie, she takes it out on everybody. I mean, she hates everybody in this movie Mm -hmm. except Gina Davis. I appreciated that too because like, there was one part of the movie where Gina Davis is like, she's giving Gina Davis shit for her terrible relationship with uh, Shooter McGavin. And she's like, why are you with that guy? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he sucks. The same. And she's like, well, why are you with? And your toxic boyfriend who's like Michael Madsen. Uh-huh. She's like, why don't you just dump him once and for all? And she's like, because I could dump him like a hundred times this weekend. And then on Monday, he'll be like crawling after me. It's like, it's great. I was like, oh, cool. All right. So it's one of those movies where like, <laughs> They're very comfortable admitting men suck, but they're also comfortable admitting they're like treating these dudes like shit. Seriously, like the combination of Michael Madsen and Christopher McDonald in this, could you get like a better combo of just like <laughs> asshole, weirdo? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. This, I mean, this catapulted Gina Davis as well. I mean, it, it put the two of those guys above everybody else. Mm-hmm. Directed this. Ridley Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott. Okay. I think she's one of the only actors or actresses to be directed by both of the Scott brothers. When they're like, hey, call home, check in with your husband, and if he knows about like all the crimes we committed, he'll be acting differently. Susan Sarandon is saying this to Gina Davis. She's like, well, how will I know? He's like, you'll know. You know your husband. If, if he just sounds off, like just hang up. And so she calls, and, and he goes, hey, honey, how are you? And she hangs up immediately and goes, he knows. He goes, he knows. And Rigby, to your point about Sigourney Weaver, I saw in an interview, she said that Sigourney is the one that people confuse her the most with in terms of actresses, because they'll be like, you're great in Thelma and Louise. You were great in uh, Bull Durham. You're great in Alien. She's always like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> fucking alien. <laughs> I actually thought about that earlier today when I was watching uh, The Client. And I think it's just the, you know, it's kind of the, you know, powerful female figure with like, Mm-hmm. curly brown hair that's that's really that's really yeah, what it comes out to. I, don't, I don't know how tall, like a reddish brown yeah i don't know how tall susan sarandon is because sigourney weaver's like six one yeah she's yeah. really yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. super tall yeah she was she joked that sigourney's like a foot taller than her she's like that's the major difference yeah i can't can't see susan sarandon uh chasing many aliens in space but that's just me. No, me either. No, if they, if they piss her off, I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Light Sleeper, a Defoe film, crossover 92, played Anne, a Robert Altman film, The Player. I know Rigby's probably a big fan of this one. Love The Player. Yeah, we talked about this, I can't remember, a couple of episodes ago. This movie's notorious for having the most cameos, really, of any, most Hollywood big actor cameos of any movie. And it stars her husband, Tim Robbins. Love The Player, can't recommend it enough. Go check it out. Lorenzo's Oil, another Oscar nomination. 92. I'm realizing that I'm such a 90s Sarandon fan. Like, I love a lot of her <laughs> 90s movies. You know, Lorenzo's Oil was a fascinating drama and tragic, but it was, you know, a parent's pursuit of ability or willing to do anything to save their child. I've never seen it, but my favorite thing having to deal with this movie is from the movie Paul with uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. God. And Jason Bateman's character, he's uh, like an FBI agent. His name is Agent Zoyle. And at the very end of the movie, he's introducing himself to the guys. He's like, hi, I'm Lorenzo. <laughs> Lorenzo Zoyle. They're like, your name's <laughs> Lorenzo Zoyle? <laughs> I love that movie. You'll remember this too, Warren. I thought of this like an hour before we recorded Role Models. When he's singing, when Paul Rudd's singing at the end, what's her face? Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks. And he's singing that song, and he says, he mentions Tim Robbins and Susan Strandon, and Jason, Shawn Michael Scott goes, good actors. <laughs> just, <laughs> just makes me laugh every time. Tim and Sue. <laughs> the Client, 94, Oscar, BAFTA knobs. I mean, she's just piling up Oscar knobs at this point in her career, alongside Tommy Lee Jones as a lawyer in this one. And she's acting alongside some of the top actors. Mm-hmm. sharing the screen with them. I watched it earlier today, and uh, for the first part of the movie, when Brad Renfro is like do- running around doing all his stuff, and he kept talking about his mom, his mom, his mom, I was like, I don't remember Susan Sarandon being the mom. <laughs> and then she turns around, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Mary Louise Parker. Yeah. And she is like, she's like, 18 years old and she's really like probably 25 in this movie but she is so fucking young and bradley whitford's in it Mm -hmm. and he's got a he's got a a louisiana accent tommy lee jones has a louisiana accent this is even like i don't know eight years after top gun and anthony edwards is in it yep he's just a, a big pussy in this movie that scene where she comes in after they've interrogated the kids. That was and good. she just yeah. fucking roasts them on the coals. That's one of my favorite scenes I watched of her. That's a good one, yeah. That scene. Yeah, she's good. And it's the movie itself is just not that great. Like I remember watching it when I was young and being like on the edge of my on the edge of my seat. And then like the big takeaway at the end is you know, this guy's in, you know, buried buried in, in the boathouse, and the neighbor is a fucking Second Amendment nut job. <laughs> His motion detector went off, and he's out there popping off shots left and right. He went out there wielding the gun, shot once, a one bullet came by him, and he's like, "Get upstairs, huh?" <laughs> so, Warren, I I agree. Like when I was younger and I watched this, I was. I remember being like super captivated. Um, I still think it's pretty good, but I not as good as I thought it was back then. Uh, but rewatching it, blown away by Brad Renfro's performance. Um, I could totally see how he was like going to be the next big thing in Hollywood before I think he got kind of uh, 
sidetracked by Hollywood itself. They're asking a lot from a 13-year-old in this movie to like carry the plot and the dramatic scenes. And I think this role for Susan Sarandon is plays great to her strengths as like the very confident and confrontational, but also flawed. Little women. A Gabe Byrne throwback here. She plays Mrs. March, you know, kind of the matriarch of the family there. I said what I said during Gabe Byrne's episode. I'll say it now. Movie's great. You guys should watch it. That guy sucks. <laughs> He's good in this movie. I'm telling you. He's, he, yeah. he plays the, the suave older man very well. He's in it. Watch me not watch it. <laughs> They've made like 10 of these movies. You got to watch one of them. It's a lovely story. <laughs> I want to compliment you on letting us know where your stance is with Gabriel Byrne. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. I think that's really important. We did some time away. did not change his mind. I know. <laughs> I'll watch Miller's Crossing with Rigby, and I will talk in his ear the entire time. I will ruin that movie for him. <laughs> I mean, that one remains. It's nostalgic for me. I love all the actresses in it. You know, Winona, Kirsten Dunst, Claire Danes. Susan Sarandon, and, you know, it was just uh, Christian Bale. I mean... Oh, that's right. Christian yeah. Bale. I mean, Christian it, it, it couldn't go wrong. And I just, I love the way it was done. I love that movie. Is this the movie where Christian Bale's dancing on the bed with a bunch of abs? No. No. <laughs> the, the one where he's <laughs> dancing to Huey in the news? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's little yeah. one. That's completely different. Yeah, similar plot. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Simpsons. You did two episodes of The Simpsons between 95 and 06 as herself in one and a ballet teacher in another. And then after all those years of getting nominated for Oscars and not winning, she finally got over the hump in 1995 for her role as Sister Helen in Dead Man Walking. This is based on a true story. Is it really? Yeah. And it's uh, one of the few movies that uh, the person won an Oscar portraying someone who was still alive. I have not watched a movie that someone actually won an Academy Award for on the (laughs) podcast that covers the career of that person. (laughs) You've never watched? This is one of her best roles. She's very I don't think I've seen Dead Men Walking. You've never seen Dead Men Walking? I'm very shocked. I saw Dead Man on campus, but I think I miss miss this one too. (laughs) Dead Man on Campus is a great movie, Warren. Don't yeah. sell yourself short. Sean Penn is amazing in this movie. Too. Yeah, he's, he's great. So and I love, I love this movie. Great performance by her. Also, great end song, Springsteen. Yeah, I don't know if it won best best uh, original song, but I know it was nominated. The only thing I can add about this movie is that of our loyal listeners asked me who we were doing, and I said Susan Sarandon, and she goes, "Oh my God, I love her in Dead Man Walking." I said, "Never heard of it." That's that's all I can add. I definitely recommend this one. If you have not seen Dead Man Walking, this one is, uh, yeah, Sean Penn is amazing. She's amazing. She plays a nun who is, you know, comforting him on death row. It's a very rough storyline. He's, you know, convicted of, of murdering a couple in the woods. It's intense. It definitely is intense, and it's it's a she's phenomenal in it. I this is one of my favorites. I remember actually going to see this in the theater when it came out. I just remember it just being like blown away by it, and I think knowing that it's a true story, it's just uh, takes it to another level. It's a great movie. He doesn't strike me as somebody who's a fan of the church either, so that's even more impressive. You're right. She once called Pope Benedict a Nazi, so she's absolutely not a fan of the church. 
<laughs> she just gained a point, a point in my book. And yeah, and she won for an Oscar for playing it on. What I like about this movie is um, it sticks with you sort of after you watch it. Um, it does. And yeah, its message is really powerful. And yeah, it's it's really good. I, I commend you for your, your words on that, Laura. I couldn't agree more. James and the Giant Peach, 1996. She plays the spider who has a French accent and sings a little bit. A little spookier than I expected it to be when I first saw it. Right? Yeah, it was, it's got a little like a little creep to it for a PG movie that I saw when I was eight years old. But, you know, it has my name, so I was like, oh, this will be great. And I did not expect it to be scary like that because that was like the same year that Toy Story came out. So I was like, oh, it'll just be super fun. A little darker, but it's now also the name of my Wi-Fi network. So I'm a big fan. Password still, password one. <laughs> Guest. <laughs> <laughs> and then she narrates two projects, including our friend Martin. Also had Angela Bassett between 96 and 98. That's going to take us to Largest Critic App, which is 1998's Twilight, and Case has it. Is this about vampires and the werewolves? As much as I tried to find a connection, this, this is not the prequel to the uh, Twilight series that everybody is so familiar with. On Wikipedia, it says it's a thriller I don't necessarily think it's a thriller as much as a whodunit. Mm. It's starring our gal, Susan Sarandon, Paul Newman, Gene Hackman are really the, the main three. One of the more compelling things about watching this movie now is about every five to ten minutes, you see an actor that is 20 years younger than you're used to seeing them, and you're like, holy shit, that's so-and-so. So it's got young Reese Witherspoon, young Lee Schreiber, also get to see James Garner, a young Giancarlo Esposito. He's not as good in this as he is in his later stuff, but it is fun to see him in here. I would encourage people to watch it. I think it was a, a good watch, especially later as time has gone past. But Paul Newman is a wash-up police detective turned washed-up private detective turned basically errand runner. Gene Hackman and his wife, Susan Sarandon. And Gene Hackman's character is always having Paul Newman run for him, and as a result, they let him live at the house. We begin the movie with Paul Newman being interrogated. What we later find out is a series of murders, and all these murders are kind of tied into Gene Hackman and Susan Sarandon, and Paul Newman's character is involved with all of them. He's never necessarily a suspect in them, but they do know that something's going on. Like I said, it's a whodunit murder mystery, so it's tough to really go into the plot without kind of spoiling it but here are some interesting points first that a lot of our younger viewers will be surprised to find out that the founder of newman salad dressing was actually a famous actor <laughs> first paul newman no way uh, guy could do it all <laughs> yeah and he was also a race car driver what He's, he literally could do it all the first scene of this movie actually features a topless very young reese witherspoon and in light of our last episode with Angelina Jolie, she was 21, and uh, she did not need to get emancipated from her parents in order to film this movie. There's a very funny subplot throughout the movie. There's basically like a legend about him where when he went to get Witherspoon's character, bring her back to the States from Mexico, she grabbed his gun, she accidentally dropped it, and it shot him in the leg. But then the rumor and legend became that she basically shot him in the dick. And so anytime he's in the police station, they're talking about him, and they're like, yeah, that's the guy right there. He lost his edge, she grabbed his gun, and, and she shot him. It's not until later in the movie where 
he's having a conversation with James Garner where James Garner goes, did you really get your pecker shot off? And he's like, no. But he starts putting it together. He goes, but thank you for telling me. <laughs> and I think this part leads to the critic gap here. Anytime that there's a scene with Sarandon, Hackman, Garner, or Newman, I mean, they're not mailing it in. It's a 60-30 critic fan split. And I get both sides of that. On the one hand, I think the critics appreciated the the art and the craft of the acting involved in this movie, especially with the key performers. But if I'm watching this movie in 1998, it is painfully slow. Mm-hmm. It's a very deliberate plot. If this were released in the early 90s or late 80s, it would have been just fine. But in the late 90s and 2000s, I mean, movies had a frantic pace to them, and this definitely did not. If I were to score this, I'd probably come in probably 55 not a bad movie and, and uh, i was glad to watch it it was a it was a fun assignment for the first time in, a, in several episodes all right well we got seven years until the next review before we get to warren's e-town review stepmom 1998 she played jackie also an executive producer so you start to see some producing credits here got a golden globe nom story about cancer first time i ever watched it found it pretty delightful i think this movie was a hit from what i'm remembering in terms of the box office yeah it was my one critique of this movie is more of a critique of kind of like the 90s genre of other woman movies is that they usually make the other woman not a bad person in the slightest bit she's just like younger and i was like that's not a hateable characteristic like julia roberts is so sweet in this movie and they're like this bitch i was like she's not a bitch she's not at all she's a very nice person it is uh the other julia roberts movie um my best friend's wedding where it's like, you're supposed to hate Cameron Diaz. Like Cameron Diaz is delightful. I don't know why we hate her, but we're supposed to hate her. It's same in this, but that's my one critique. Other than that, I feel like it's very much a Chris Columbus movie where it's, there's a little cheese to it, but a lot of heart. Yeah. One thing I read about this is that to drum up uh, interest in the movie, a uh, PR agent for the studio uh, leaked that her and Julia Roberts fought the entire time while filming this movie. And it just simply wasn't true, but they weren't allowed to say it wasn't true until after the movie came out. And they were, they were like, we'll never do that again because we were just getting like roasted in newspapers and like tabloids nonstop on something we thought was going to be a positive. If I was starting that, I wouldn't, that rumor, I wouldn't think it was a great idea, but I might think it was hilarious. i have started uh rumors before but usually they're rumors that can't hurt anybody it's just more confusing than anything that's what you need to go for (laughs) so the willennium hits and she decides she's going to do joe gould's secret with stanley tucci and rugrats in paris the movie so doing some animated work here uh james and the giant peach but you know stay doing a little bit more there who is she Um, in rugrats in paris coco i don't know who that is I don't remember. Who not Tommy or Angelica. No. <laughs> Friends did an episode, got an Emmy nomination for her guest appearance on that as the uh, older woman that I think Chandler sleeps with in that episode. The deal with Emmy nomination, like this kind of thing for an Emmy nomination. It's just. I know you hate that. Yeah, it's like the one-off <laughs> where you do one episode. Yeah. yeah it's weird. They, they, give, they give guest appearance Emmys every that's, year. That's so such that a fucking bad. participation yeah, right. trophy. It's like, hey, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming down to our level. We yeah, really appreciate it. Appreciate like, you here. slumming it with us. Igby Goes Down played Mimi in 2002. A, a, a Golden Globe nom, but actually for film this time, so it's more legitimate. 
she plays a an absolute demon of a mom in this movie. A rewatch, it goes down. Yeah, I've actually never seen um, this movie, but based on the cast and your rev- you saying you enjoy it, I am regretting it immediately. The Banger Sisters played Lavinia, a movie that got absolutely trashed uh, by critics alongside Goldie Hawn. She plays a former groupie in this movie, which is, I guess, right up her alley if you think about some of the other roles that she played. But she joined the likes of David Spade on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2002. <laughs> you know? Bravo. David Spade got on the walk in 2002. Yeah, dude. He, we found out that he got on there way before he deserved it. It mm-hmm. was like. It might have been like 99 yeah, that he was, it was on. Like he, he was on it before Sarandon, bro. He was That's on like, S- <laughs> SNL and Tommy Boy. Yeah, he shouldn't have gotten it until at least after Grown Ups won. <laughs> That's a big bit on the show. We like, one time we like compared who got one after him, and it's like. Harrison Ford or people like that. <laughs> so <laughs> many better actors and actresses got him after David Spade. We have no idea why. All I know is that all good movie fans take a pilgrimage to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Absolutely. True. You guys did it. <laughs> did you take a selfie with the Tyler Perry stone? I would. Uh, we definitely <laughs> did not. Hey, another uh, Emmy nom for uh, two episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. Another one that Warren loves to hear. And I actually saw. I, I know exactly what episode it is. It's really? The, uh, that Hal's company picnic and Lois keeps getting like backed into a corner by Susan Sarandon talking about her marital problem. <laughs> <laughs> so Emmy worthy. That's what I hear. No. Emmy worthy. No. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> And then the final one here is Shall We Dance? She plays Beverly, a movie we've covered a few times. Stanley Tucci, J-Lo, a delightful movie about salsa. <laughs> and just basically like dancing. I, she's definitely not the focal point. Tucci's the most hilarious. So if you get a chance, check it out. But let's hear from Warren on the largest audience gap for Elizabethtown of five. See if he recommends it to the people. So 2005, uh, Elizabethtown, directed by Cameron Crowe. That was shocker number one, but after watching it, made total sense. Cast, Orlando Bloom, Kirsten Dunn, Susan Sarandon, Alec Baldwin, Judy Greer, Jessica Biel. I mean, most of those people have two to three minutes in the entire movie. The entire thing is basically Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst. This movie further perpetuates that Orlando Bloom is not a good actor at all. Um, He just kind of fell into being someone who doesn't have to shave. (laughs) I'll get into a quote. The reason why I can mention that was because of uh, some Rotten Tomato stuff that I read earlier. (laughs) Orlando Bloom is some like prodigy working for a company, a shoe company that's run by Alec Baldwin, which is basically Nike. And he comes up with this shoe that is like the ugliest shoe in the history of mankind. And is supposed to innovate and change the world and all this stuff. And you see it and it's, he got inspiration from a, a shoe from a stingray. It is a shoe that has like flaps that come off the side of it. And so, <laughs> and the, the company runs with it for like eight years and they're making this big deal out of it. And it's all recalled like every single shoe. And he's a, he's going to lose the company a billion dollars <laughs> and he's like having a terrible day. And then he gets a call from his sister who's like, Oh, dad died. So life is not good for him at the moment. Cause he was actually trying to kill himself. He ends up going to see his mom and his sister. Sarandon's the mom. And 
the dad's body is in his hometown of Elizabethtown, Kentucky. His, the whole movie is him going there and running into like this just tiny town of people trying to convince him that his dad was somebody who was a little bit different than what he knew and all this stuff. And there's like Sarandon has bad beef with the people in the hometown because she was an outsider and all this stuff. Orlando Bloom's not good in it. Kirsten Dunst is she's she's okay in it. She just plays her like peppy self. I mean she does a good job of it, but it's annoying as hell after like five minutes. Um, because she's so positive. She's so upbeat all the time. And so she doesn't really fit the mood of the movie um at times. It's also like two hours and five minutes long. It is way too long. And uh, went through and looked at information. So Cameron Crowe, guy loves music. And boy, does he fucking let you know with this. There are 76 songs between soundtrack and score. And it's basically like, hey, listen to this 10-second clip of this song that I really like that you probably never heard of. Here's a link in my bio. Go buy it. Here are the three quotes from critics who I thought were good. First one, heartfelt and intolerable. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, 30 seconds in, it lost me. Three minutes in, it angered me. 15 or 13 minutes in, I wanted to start strangling people in the next row. 23 minutes in, I actually tried to. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one, Orlando Bloom gives his typically abysmal performance as a man boy who doesn't know he's old enough to shave yet. So I I really enjoyed that one. But out of this entire thing, it's just, it's this dumb, dumb story. And the only person who acts the way that you would expect when a loved one dies is Susan Sarandon. She is so overwhelmed with like grief that she doesn't know how to handle it. And instead of being like, I'm I'm not going to tell people how to deal with things like this because everybody grieves in their own way. But still she was the most believable person and she, she wasn't mopey. She didn't like not do anything. She found every single hobby that she had ever wanted to try in her entire life and just tried to do it to take her mind off the fact that her husband had just died. She tries to get into cooking. She tries to get into car, car maintenance. She gets into tap dancing. She gets into all these different things that, ends up culminating in like a funny story when she's telling uh she's giving a eulogy at her husband's funeral That's a cool and it's moment. the only it's the only time that you actually feel connected to a character in it and so without sarandon in this story i mean it it would have been considerably worse she actually really tied a bow on it and and gave it some some actual um realistic personal feel to it um so i definitely give her props for that and it's she's strictly there for comedic relief too like they could have gone with anybody but they went with her and she did a really really good job with that so without her i mean this movie had a 28 critic without her you're looking at 15 10 easy critic ranking uh audience is 66 but I don't understand how in the hell it's too long to be a cutesy movie. 
And yes, Roger Ebert did say that this was three out of four stars. And he said that she is actually an angel. And it's a really deep analysis and points out that she's an angel. And uh, I think that's just bullshit. (laughs) That scene where she's given the speech was like the only moment of the movie where I felt like, oh, I'm not being manipulated. Yeah. Emotionally right now. Yeah. Um, That was awesome. You lost me at two hours and five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It drags on like there's a montage on the road. When it's it's just like song after song after song after like little like pit stop that he takes. It's just like Jesus, just get to the end where they end up together. It's gonna happen. Sixty B, sixty B. Well, let's let's keep it moving. Two thousand six, Bernard and Doris. We played Doris, a Golden Globe and Emmy nominated performance alongside our boy Rafe. Fucking Ralph, but Rafe. Whatever he wants to go by, Rafe Fiennes. Um, she's actually pretty good in this movie. Um, I think she. I can't think of a movie where she mails it in. No, she goes all in in every role, and I love it. Um, Enchanted. We talked about it on the Mars episode. She plays Queen Narissa. Phenomenal. I think I love this movie. I know we talked about her. Yeah, Enchanted is great. Amy Adams, James Marsden. She plays the evil stepmom essentially there, and she's phenomenal. She she nails it. What are people's thoughts on Speed Racer? It looks cool. It's almost unwatchable for me. That's true. I've never seen it. I never, wa- I never watched it because people were just like, it's, it's garbage. Yeah. It's filmed like a cartoon and like it, but it, mm-hmm. but it's live action, but like borderline unwatchable for me. I was like, Oh, that's cool that they're going with this concept. And then it's just like, Oh, it's still going and I'm out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope. Too too much. It's, it's a cool it, concept. Yeah, and it's two. It's over two hours long, and then eventually I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna get dizzy if this keeps going. Can't do it. She has two movies that have over a hundred million dollar budget, and this is one of the two. Oh, wow. The other one is Cloud Atlas. Ugh. Isn't that another films. another Wachowski? Yep. Yeah, both Lukowski films. That movie was a fart in your hand. That movie stunk. <laughs> we can talk about it now. I mean, we talked about it on the Halle Berry episode because she's in that as well. There's a lot of they play a lot of characters in that movie. That's for sure. It's a movie. The con the concept is is cool. It's it's like a cool. It's a conversation to have when you're doing psychedelics or you're sitting around like a campfire. <laughs> but it's not a movie. It's hard to follow. The Lovely Bones, 2009, play Grandma Lynn, an alcoholic grandmother character, a movie that we talked about in the Tucci episode. Tucci, he was nominated. Did he win the Oscar for the role? Was he nominated? I forget. I think he was nominated. No, he was nominated. She's great as, like, just a fucking train wreck of a grandma. So it it would seem that from basically Enchanted... Yeah, this is this is when she probably needed her uh, to contact a uh, whoever. Uh, a publicist. Yeah, publicist. <laughs> He's a do-it-yourself person, and it backfired right here. Uh, it keeps it keeps backfiring. I'm about to say, in fairness, she's pretty damn good in her role in the movie. I'll give her credit. And also, yeah. this is the fourth decade of her choosing movies. <laughs> so you know they're not all going to be winners. <laughs> You know, if the first 30 years of your career are going pretty good and you fuck up in, you know, the fourth decade, I think we, you know, everyone's allowed one screw up here or there. So if if she fucks up this decade, we tell her to stop? I think, yeah, I think that's fair. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> I, that's I my Johnny Depp. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what the limit was. Yeah, that's my Johnny Depp rule. It's like, yeah, he was a star, and then it's 20 years of shitty movies, and now I'm allowed to say I don't think he's good anymore. Well, even if it, the past 20 years his movies were good, you can still call him a piece of shit now. Well, yeah, as a person, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, she's probably selecting roles based on the wheel. <laughs> In interviews, she's said that she chooses roles based on if she thinks they're fun to talk about. Because if she yeah. doesn't think they're fun to talk about, she's not going to be able to film them for like three to six months and be interested the whole time. Which I think is fair. I think that is a ADD mindset, and I totally understand it. It is interesting. Except that's like me, but with like jobs. You know? With that mindset, I'm surprised she's not in more like Adam Sandler movies. I agree. <laughs> yeah. But to your point, James. The next thing I have on here is her appearance in the Lonely Island's Mother Lover, which she just comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden she's getting swooned on by uh, Justin Timberlake. Or in that, I was early to the game on Lonely Island, and I loved to see them be successful. I was I was watching them on YouTube when I was in like ninth grade. I'm like, these guys are fucking hilarious. She date, started dating Jonathan Bricklin in '09. They split up in in 2015, so that lasted six years. Jonathan Bricklin, for those of you who don't know, because I also don't know, apparently he's really good at ping pong. I don't know. Anyway, they opened up a chain of ping pong bars that I went to all the fucking time in New York. Had no idea it was owned by Susan Sarandon. It's just a normal like nightclub that has like 30 ping pong tables in it. It's called Spin. We would play there all the time. Absolute blast. 2010, another Emmy. She was stacking up Emmy nominations uh, for You Don't Know Jack. Uh, the movie as a Michigander, I grew up around the legend that was Jack Kevorkian, the assisted suicide guy. And so this is a essentially a biopic where Al Pacino plays Jack Kevorkian, and she plays a woman with pancreatic cancer in film. So it's a it's a pretty heavy emotional film in a lot of ways. Obviously, we're talking about the su- assisted suicide HBO film, right? Yeah. yeah. This was the first in a series of biopics that. Pacino had on HBO this uh, Phil Spector and Pacino or uh, Paterno, mm-hmm. and I, this is the best one of those for sure. This is really good. It's awesome. He's he's very good. awesome in this movie as Jack Kevorkian, and she's good. Having grown up around the guy and seeing him on TV, and a- actually the guy that stood out to me the most in the movie was Danny Houston as Jeffrey Figer, because Figer was everywhere in Southeast Detroit. You were used to seeing him on TV all the time, and he nailed Jeffrey Figer, mm-hmm. nailed him. Another Tucci. She works with Tucci so much in her career. She worked with them uh, on Beastie Boys, Fight for Your Right, revisited that. It's like a 12-minute video uh, where she plays the older couple with Tucci at the start of the video. Think about her rationalization for taking movies. She wants to do movies that would be interesting to talk about. I mean, he'd be a blast to work with. 100%. Everyone who's worked with him says he's just a really swell person. A couple episodes of 30 Rock, and then... One of the classics. She got a, her first Razzie nom for Worst On-Screen Couple, 2012. So that's my boy. <laughs> a movie that still makes me laugh. That's her daughter, right? Yeah, it's, so, that's uh, that's Ava. that's Ava Murray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the movie, the movie itself is it's not a good movie, but it is worth yeah. it is worth laughs. Um, there are definitely funny, funny parts in it. the The whole thing when she comes back later and it's sarandon as the uh the teacher all grown up and she's still just as filthy and everything like 30 years later uh it's hilarious that was me with 
I'd already given up on Adam Sandler movies at this point. And so you guys have mentioned to me before that it's stupid, but you've laughed and I just, I can't get over the hump. I, I feel like he's insulted me so many times that like, I can't do it. This one's rated R. And so you get away with so much more on it. I find every character, not every character, but I find a lot of the characters in this movie to be funny, except for Adam Sandler. He is. Yeah. So, and I get that's what his, that's the shtick is that he's ridiculously, he's a buffoon and like you shouldn't like him, but he's just so annoying. That character just bothers me so much. Yeah. It, it loses its luster after about 10 minutes, but yep. like Will Forte is h- hilarious in it. Does six episodes with Laura Linney in the big C as Joy, another Marsden crossover in Robot and Frank, a movie I know Rigby loves, Arbitrage. Plays Ellen alongside Tim Roth. She plays his wife. Not Tim Roth's wife, Richard Gere's wife, sorry. Um, this is the one where Tim Roth is probably the worst cop of all time. He lets Richard Gere kill somebody and um, basically get away with it. Uh-huh. Last thing I'll mention here before our final review is she got into the video game world in Dishonored as Granny Rags, the only Chloe Grace Moretz crossover we have. So the only consistency <laughs> with Laura's two oh, appearances. Oh, there you Dishonored go. Um, all right, lowest critic score is The Big Wedding, and that's Rigby. All right, so The Big Wedding is a 2013 comedy film. I don't know if you guys know this, but I usually write out like a summary of my review. I didn't do that this week for two reasons. One is because I didn't have time to do it, and two, this didn't deserve the time to have a summary. I hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle sent me a text middle of the week and said that there were some moments that he laughed out loud. Um, I will be candid. I didn't laugh out loud once in this movie. What? Not once. The cast is really stacked. It's Robert De Niro, Diane Keaton, Susan Sarandon, Topher Grace, Catherine Heigl. So big names. Amanda Siegfried. So like, yeah, names that names that are of people that are, you know, big in Hollywood. For as big of the cast as that is, it switches off between trying way too hard for laughs and people just kind of going through the motions. And so the plot of it is Diane Keaton and Robert De Niro play this formerly married couple who are now divorced. And one of their, their adopted son is getting married and the son is from Columbia and finds out that his, his birth mom is coming to the wedding and she's a hardcore Catholic and so he comes up with this idea that Diane Keaton and De Niro need to act like they're still married, even though they've been divorced for 20 years or so, because as his mom, as his birth mom, um, as a hardcore Catholic would be offended by that and think that she would not attend the wedding and storm off and just not be comfortable with it. So the whole gag is that they are trying, even though they have been divorced for 20 years and they don't like each other, they're trying to act like they're still married in front of their family and their guests and all their friends at their adopted son's wedding. If that sounds stupid. It's because it is. Um, I was kind of kind of stunned to learn that this movie was based off a, a remake of a French movie, I think, or Swedish. I want to say uh, some European, it, some European country made it in 20, 2006. Must have had some varying success because they decided to remake it with with a huge cast that you know a lot of well known actors. But this one just didn't work for me. Susan Sarandon plays Robert De Niro's. Uh, new wife in this movie, yeah, partner slash wife. You don't. I can't really. I can't really. Can you tell if they're married? They're just together. They're just together. No, I think they're just together. They're just tied in yeah. a relationship. And the first time you see Susan Sarandon, she is uh, getting cunnilingus from Robert De Niro. So that's an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting opening scene in her uh, in her uh, appearance in this movie. 
I, I don't know. Something about this movie just really... Topher Grace plays like a really successful doctor who's a virgin. So right there, you know, Topher Grace is... I think in every movie he's in, he's like a horny, like, just, you know, ladies' man. And for this one, he... Uh, I didn't buy him as a very rich, successful doctor who also is a virgin. So it deserved its seven score on Rotten Tomatoes for me. Uh, I would give it... If I had to rate it from one to a hundred, I'd give it probably about a ten. I, you and I see eye to eye in a lot of movies, and I know that you said you. No, it's all good. I know that you said it's not a good movie, but there were parts that had you laughing. I wish I could. I wish I could uh, agree with you there. Rigby, just to clarify, you did not like this movie. <laughs> I did not. The case is pretty good about that. Thanks, Rigby. Let's round this thing out. So, 2014, she's in Tammy, another Razzie nom, alongside uh, Gary Cole and Allison Janney. Um, Zoolander 2 plays herself in 2016. I saw Zoolander 2, and Zoolander 1 is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, Zoolander 2 is not good, but there is one funny joke, and uh, my wife and I quote it all the time. Derek Zoolander finds out that he has a son, and he goes to find him in Italy, and when they find him, he's fat, and he's like maybe eight years old. And (laughs) he asks uh, Hansel, he goes, does that mean my son's a bad person because he's fat? And Hansel goes, I mean, it doesn't mean he's a bad person. I know it doesn't make him a good person. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife and I quote that shit all the time. <laughs> a Bad Mom's Christmas played Isis, another Razzie nom. The, the follow-up to Bad Moms. The, uh, the scene that I remember from this movie is when she meets Christine Baranski's mom character for the first time. And she goes, my name's Ruth, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And Serena goes, ISIS, like the terrorist organization. <laughs> <laughs> Tough break for people who have that name. That only recently became a thing. <laughs> I remember there was a hedge fund in New York City that's name was ISIS. And like you'd go on their website and they were like, we know, we're changing it. Please give us a moment. <laughs> like, it's like we've been around since the 60s. Please just give us a second. Yeah, that, that's what happened in uh, the show Archer. They had to change ISIS, mm-hmm. <laughs> the international yep. spy agent. Forgot about that. <laughs> they had to change it. I forgot about that. Yeah. Feud, Betty Davis, another Emmy nom, a couple episodes of Rick and Morty, 2017, 2020, by Dr. Wong. She's hilarious in that. I, I, can't, I can't really give you background on it because it's not going to make any sense, but she's hilarious. No. <laughs> Ray Donovan. Uh, Case, you're a Ray Donovan guy, aren't you? Love Ray Donovan. All the seasons. Yeah. I know not everybody does. But 19 I love episodes the of this yes. show. It, it fits her role. I mean, it fits what she does best, right? She's playing opposite of like Ray Donovan. The two of them are kind of working against each other. and I, I love this show. And she was good in it. Did one episode of Robot Chicken. So we talked about that a lot with Seth Green, as he's the, the originator of such said show. And then the Jesus Rolls, which came out a couple of years ago. Kind of silently and quietly, but she plays a, an inmate who uh, has a threesome with Torturo and what's his face, and then she immediately commits suicide. <laughs> what was this the sequel to? The Big Lebowski. It's an extension of his character. You don't fuck with the Jesus. You you said it, man. Toro's a legend. That dude's unbelievably talented. Yeah, very very good. Thing we'll mention is a movie that came out on Prime last year, Jolt. Played woman with no name. Another Tucci crossover. 
one of many. All right, Rigby, we've reached the, the top of the mountain here. What are what top performances do you have? So the list that I found is from 2014, but looking at her filmography, I think that is still okay. Um, done anything in my eyes that would warrant us t- to find a similar list or a, a list that would include stuff after that. So this is actually from Time Out Magazine. And so it's from a pretty good source, and it's listed as her top 10 most unforgettable roles, and this includes television. Ooh. It's not listed in numerical order, so I think it's it should be up to us to decide what's number one at the end. So, Because it's Time Out Magazine, I'm going to go Rocky Horror Picture Show. You, you would be right, my friend. Thanks. Coming to me for more interesting facts. <laughs> <laughs> the obvious ones. Bull Durham has to be on there. Yeah. Dead Man Walking. Yeah. Thelma. Yep. The Client. Now this- nice, James. I'll give me Atlantic City. Yep. Enchanted. Nope. Got one, but I'm waiting for Laura. Oh. Go for it. You you say say yours. Little women. No. What? Oh, come on now. I waited that whole time for a no. <laughs> Stepmom. Yep. Nice job. Good call. We need one. We need three more. Actually, four more, sorry. Lorenzo's oil? <laughs> Agent Zoil. <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but we haven't said the, her most critically acclaimed role. Did you hear me on Witches of Eastwick? Uh, no, but good job, Craig. That's on there. Say that one. So I think we just need two more now. One's a TV show. Is it a world apart? Nope. Rick and Morty. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. We we mentioned the TV show, but it was very brief. You don't know Jack? Nope. The Big C? Nope. Are you going to tell us, Rick? Thirty Rock. Uh, I mean, I love Thirty Rock, but that's that's not uh, uh, maybe. Who knows? It's it's Time Out Magazine. They love New York, so there you go. The la- the only other movie we missed was The Hunger. Okay. Oh. Yep. The Catherine Deneuve steamy scene. Yep. Um, I, that, all right. So what we put is the top three. There. So is it, is it for me? I'm gonna go Bull Durham number one, Thelma Louise number two, and Rocky Horror number three. Yeah, I'd have the same as Rigby, except Thelma and Louise would be my number one. I, yeah, I just think Rocky Horror is just such a cultural phenomenon that I think it deserves to be on there. Kind of like Thelma and Louise. Yeah. I'd go, like, That's My Boy, Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> James and the Giant Peach. Lorenzo's Oil, just because of Agent Zoil. Uh, let's just wrap it up with Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> Bad Mom's One, Bad a- Mom's Christmas. All right, so let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, or awards footprint, any of the talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, or anything else that matters to us as Munson's. And we will start this time with Warren. Biggest thing for her when I was thinking about it was I, I don't think I've ever been like, ooh, I'm going to watch this movie because of Susan Sarandon. But I've also never been like, I'm not going to watch this movie because of Susan Sarandon. <laughs> it, it, she she is a great, she's a great addition to a lot of movies. Um, and I, I I never watched, you know, when, when she was in her, you know, the prime of her career, that, that wasn't, I wasn't watching her movies um and so yeah there's still quite a few of hers i need to go back and watch but there's you know no 
no short shortcutting the awards love that she's received and you know critically she is recognized as one of the the better act actors um you know in the past 30 40 years um i i can't really say there's much um range to her acting uh, i think she's pretty like you get you know one you know two or three different characters from her um yeah. and that is done like 165 times but still she's good enough <laughs> she's good enough at it to continue doing it and she's got like 10 things upcoming and so there's yeah. still there's still a need for her. there's still a desire for her to be around and she she knows she knows what she's good at doing and she's happy doing it so keep doing it you know it's not work if you enjoy what you're doing and you know all that crap whatever so i i mean i'm still i'm gonna give her an 80 james i think name recognition for susan sarandon is huge um when i immediately heard we were doing her i was like oh wow this is one of the biggest stars of the 90s but i couldn't immediately pick out the role that i knew her for um and so in diving through kind of her filmography here i realized that it is partially because she is a movie star and uh from the late 80s early 90s but also a lot of it's because of off-screen things where you know, she's been so politically involved that I've heard more about her as a person uh, than I thought I had uh, prior to kind of doing this deep dive. And so, like, finding out that she's been arrested multiple times for protesting and, you know, her career started because she was, uh, you know, uh, disrupting a political event. Uh, she was actually banned from the Oscars because when she was first invited there, she spent her entire time talking about yep. uh, orphans in Haiti and uh, how Hollywood could help and just took five minutes doing that and they banned her and they had to bring her back and like allow her to come back because she was nominated for an Academy Award, which she ended up winning. Um, while she was doing her acceptance speech, she did not go on that rant. She played nice. But, you know, like this is a woman who's a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF at this point and has gotten into fights with like multiple presidents. And like, I respect someone who from day one has been unapologetically themselves. Um, there are some movies that I think have been flops. There are other movies that I think you can't tell the story of the late 80s, early 90s Hollywood without including them. And I think that goes a long way. Um, so I'm going to give her an 82. Rigby. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Susan Strand fan. I was very excited when we when I learned that we were doing her. She's in some of my um, some of my favorite films, Bull Durham being one of them. Thelma and Louise is awesome. And Rocky Horror Picture Show, say what you want about it. I'm really, really pissed that I missed the discussion about that, but I think that movie is so fun. And fun fact about that movie, it's actually the longest-running um, theatrical release movie in in U.S. film history. Because they still show it, they still show it every weekend in theaters in LA and New York. So I think that's fascinating. And yeah, she's just name recognition's huge. She's got a very recognizable face. Does a lot of activist politics stuff, which, um, which I think is is important. And yeah, she's gonna get one one of my highest scores. She's gonna get a ninety two. Dang, Laura, you gotta follow that. 
growing up, she's always been like such a prominent fig figure for me in movies. Like I just remember when I was, you know, I've I watched all those late eighties, nineties movies, and she was always a favorite of mine. She's always a, a favorite actress of mine. I always loved everything she did that I saw. You know, she has like such an extensive filmography. I haven't seen anything, but what I did watch of hers, I just remember she I felt that she was very captivating in in everything I saw her in. She has like this presence on film and the staying power all throughout like all these decades that she's been on film and all the work that she's done i definitely i favor her score i think i'm gonna go with an 82 with her i feel like she has just done so much and really carried such you know important important roles in the 80s and 90s for me personally that I just uh you know I've loved it I loved everything that she's she's done and I've seen her in and I feel like that that is important for me so it's good to see great her. score great score I couldn't agree with it more actually Yerky chose Chris Tucker and gave him a 57 which is like our lowest guest score ever so you just never really know you know wow she's just in a lot of great films even ones that I didn't even know about um mm-hmm up and down boards, you know, won the Oscars, gotten the Razzie down. Last decade hasn't been as stellar. So with that, I'm going to give her an 85. And Craig, you're the last one. Everybody's nailed everything. The only thing is I'll add is 160-plus credits, and I've, I've not seen a role where she's mailed it in. That's wickedly impressive. And not only does she have my favorite female characters in film history, she plays some of my favorite characters in film history. With that, I'm going to give her an 85 as well. With that score, that gives Susan Sarandon an 84.33, which ties her for seventh, Willem Dafoe. Nice. Wow. Warren, she's got a lot coming. We probably don't need to talk about all of them, but are of the like 10 that she's got coming soon, any that stuck out to you that are interesting? The Bad Moms 3, Bad Moms Moms. <laughs> <laughs> pre-production yeah i think i think that's pretty much it um there's another one uh blue beetle so i believe that's her getting involved in in that uh is that D- dc right so yeah it's dc yep getting into the dc shit universe <laughs> rigby you should just you should just go dc to just go counter to everything marvel <laughs> yes you'll hate your experience <laughs> Very dark. All right, so five actors on in consideration for our next episode, which is July 14th. Uh, we have a new guest, Mark Montantis of Cinema Flavor. So we can give, give Mark on here and give him a shot. Big fan of the show. Um, Hell yeah. He picked, one of, he picked one of these five actors. He's picking from Chaz Palminteri, Noel Guglielmi, Sean Bean, David Keckner, and Juliette Binoche. What do we like? What do we dislike? Binoche. I have to be honest. I only know... Chaz Palminteri. Benoche. Is it Benoche? I don't know. The any of those names could have been made up. You David Keckner is in He's um, Champ Kind. Whammy. Oh, he's Champ right. Kind. He's Whammy. All right. I know the Whammy guy. He just had a DUI. Everyone go check out body cam footage. David Keckner. It's hilarious. All right. Let the let the man live, Rigby. <laughs> Sean Bean, you would know him best as the bad guy in the National Treasure. 
or Game of Thrones. He's he's a guy. He's the good. Oh guy yeah, he's building Game of Thrones. He's <laughs> Ned Stark's. Oh, spoiler alert! Warren Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't that come out ten years ago? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and. And that twist is like the most well-documented twist. Yep. So Juliet, Juliet, I still don't know how to say her name. Binoche, Binoche. Binoche? I think it's Binoche. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just... She's a great actress. She's fantastic. Um, she's been in a lot of critically acclaimed movies that um, that I've seen and a lot that I haven't seen. So she'd be fun to cover. She would definitely have one of our highest uh, Rotten Tomato like score rankings, I, th- I feel like in a really good movie called cash. If you haven't seen that, it's fantastic. It's a French movie, but it's awesome. Um, she's in the staircase that just came out on HBO. Oh, okay. I like the documentary. Yeah. James, I've been telling you to watch the HBO adaptation. of you it. You did say that. Yes. I, well, you know, I've been busy watching you know, that, you know, yes. Angelina Jolie jr. Over here grow. And next week she'll be Susan Sarandon jr. Noel Guglielmi, he's the... It's Hector. Know. I know you're talking it's about. Hector. Yeah, he plays That's Hector right. in like five Hector in like movies. Ten. Yeah, yeah He's a guy who has a, a monkey fly out of his butt and I yes. love him. Or, yeah. Yes, or God, whatever. Bruce Almighty. I remember him in training day. The day that a monkey flies out my butt, then you'll get your apology. <laughs> and then if we do Chaz, we obviously get to talk about doing. Got my ass. <laughs> we get to do a breakdown of A Bronx Tale, which is an Italian American classic. Yeah. That is true. Usual suspects. There's mm-hmm. yep. a cop. So we'll see. Uh, Laura, if you had to pick, who would you choose? I would choose Chaz Palmiteri. Chaz? Mm hmm. The East Coast gal. I do, I do David, David Keckner in a heartbeat. <laughs> My great-grandpappy didn't come over from Italy with a bag of nickels for me not to choose Chaz Palminteri. <laughs> well, we don't know anything about Mark. I know he's a West Coast guy, so he's he's a big Sharks fan. He lives out in California. So. Oh, well, then maybe it's Hector. We'll find out. He doesn't choose. Laura doesn't choose. Rigby doesn't choose. The, the wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Fuck it. <laughs> Wait for Warren to say something. Yeah, same. Laura, it's been great. Yeah. Thank you for coming back to hang out with us for a couple hours to talk about somebody as prominent as Susan Sarandon. This is your chance to plug anything that you got going on. Wise words for our audience. It's it's your time to shine. Oh, thank you for having me. This is fun. I always enjoy coming on here. And, you know, this is my second time, but I would love to come back again some days. Please do. Uh, thank you for having me. This is a uh, this is always fun. I enjoy talking. I don't really get to talk. I love movies so much. James and I always get to speak about movies when you see each other. But I don't have this in like my everyday life. So I always I love nerding out with other people about movies. You know, it's what I do, and uh, it's always like you know I I enjoy these conversations. So thank you for having me. Wow, that just brought a little tear to my eye, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's only so many times I could talk to my wife about movies before she's like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, I'm going to go do stuff now. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to go do something that's not listen about this. So we wrap things up. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Susan's random? Dude, that is fucking psycho. Think that you are so perfect, but you know what? You suck. You suck at all the shit that really matters, and I even can see it. And I'm stoned all the time. Munson's out. <sighs> all 
All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Pleasure to meet you boys. You did a hell of a job. Thank you, Agent Zoyle. Please call me Lorenzo. Lorenzo Zoyle.